my name's Tom. I'm the uh, senior pastor here, and this is our second <clears throat> weekend of uh, losing my religion. And there are parts of uh, what this is, thing's all about is there are parts of our religion that we need to lose. Um, there's also parts of our, our, of our religion that we feel like we are losing, and maybe you don't want to necessarily have that, have that happen to you. And last weekend, we dove into uh, what I'm calling cut flower Christianity. And what that means is when we as a people have cut ourselves off from the source of, the, of life that gives us nutrients, gives us, you know, kind of constant feeding, we will uh, eventually wither and fade. So we're, we're going to watch these flowers die over this entire series. Um, maybe you feel like this today. Is this anybody's, like, weak? Um, like, we're just kind of Oh, right, and you're just hoping for some type of, of miracle that will kind of make you spring back into life uh, so that you can go into to work tomorrow. And, but cut flower Christians will look good for a little while. You know, you put them in water uh, and you, you have the appearance of having your life together. I mean, these look pretty brutal, but they still have petals. Uh, they, they, they're still ha- they still have color. They don't look entirely dead just yet. Um, but we know that it is inevitable that they will eventually wither and fade completely. And what that can happen to us by a couple of ways, by us, by us intentionally cutting ourselves off uh, from, from the source of, of life, but it's also culture can slowly chip away and remove you from that source of life. You know, culture today is trying to eliminate God from absolutely every facet of society. You know, God should only stay in the church and you should just go visit him, but make sure he doesn't leave. You know, make sure like you lock the door on your way out so that he, just can, he can stay in there. And you just need to keep your beliefs to yourself. You need to not live so, you know, uh, uh, be so offensive to share your faith or to share the hope and love of Jesus Christ with those who are around you. Just knock it off and be quiet about it. And in reality, when we do make that decision, we are being pulled away further and further from, from our faith because our faith is pretty constant on you just need to keep sharing. You need to live this faith, not just visit Jesus on weekends, but actually try to become more like him throughout the week. And that can be pretty hard to do when all of culture is trying to pull you away from that faith. And so one of the easiest ways, oh, speaking of, um, when you are studying scripture, one of the easiest ways to do this is to look at, and what I always tell people is to look at first words and final words. And here's why. I lost my place. Anybody know where Second Timothy is? Oh, here it is. That's one of those books that's kind of hard to find. I have my tab here. There we go. Um, one of the easiest ways to study scripture is to look at the first words and the final words because like, if you were writing somebody a letter, let's say it's a long letter, letters are the things that people used to write people. Maybe I should uh, rephrase that. So you would write them and then you would stick them in the mail and a person would come and it would magically appear uh, and they would o- open this letter and go, oh, what does Tom have to say? Or maybe I put it this way. Um, 
If you were knowing that you were getting ready to pass away and you wanted to impart final words upon someone, you're going to basically say, here's what I want you to remember. And so final words of scripture are critical, especially in letters that we see from Paul. Uh, Jesus' final words have major impact. And so Paul is writing a letter to his disciple and follower and kind of trainee, Timothy, and he's getting ready to pass away. This is one of his final correspondences with him. And he's going to try to encourage him. So his final charge to Timothy is this. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, let's stop there. Imagine um, if we had that like on our door. Um, welcome to church. You're going to get persecuted. Right? Like, hey, um, Where's the sign-up? There's like a persecution sign-up out on the table out there. And that's tough to read. You go, but in order to live a godly life, this means that you are going to be noticed because you are going to be so different from the culture around you that you will find persecution in that. So expect it. And evildoers and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse in verse 13. But as for you, they're going to do their thing. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know me. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He's saying... You have known this from the beginning, from infancy. That can be spiritual infancy or physical infancy. It's basically like you have been taught this. Remember what you have learned because it's going to get worse out there. You're going to find persecution. But in order to live a godly life, you need to hold strong to this foundational soil of faith because all of culture will be trying to, to uproot you from that. But how do we do that? This is kind of the constant struggle of people of faith. How do we engage the culture without becoming the culture? How do we engage the world without becoming just like it? There's scripture that talks about being in the world but not of the world. And you have a decision to make. You can either remove yourself entirely from the world. You can say, you know what? We're done. We're out. We're going to go off grid. We're going to start a nice little community, and we're going to decide this is what we stand for, and this is who we're going to be. The world can continue on in its own path, and that's how you create the Amish, right? And the, the Amish are wonderful people, and that was their decision. They said, we're done. We're done being influenced by you. And they stopped. Now, they had little decisions along the way that they all made. Some, some, you know, can do certain things. Others can't. But they said, we're just going to remove ourselves from this. I don't see any Amish in here today. So how can we, as a people of faith, be in this world but not of it? So I'm going to use this image um, that I have next to me here today. I had the kids this morning. Um, they're really confused as to why I asked them. I said, go get me some dirt. So they went out, scooped some dirt, and this is real dirt, right, Blake? Okay. So she didn't understand why I was getting dirt. So I put it in this water, and we've been letting it simmer for a little while. 
Now, so we have a jar of dirt, clean water. Did you know that every year, five to six million people die from drinking polluted water? Five to, let me say it, five to six million, two to three million children from just dirty water, from, from toxins that they absorb, and they eventually die of you know, malnutrition. They're, they're going in weak to begin with, but the water takes them out. And it had me you know, thinking of why, why is that not a big deal to us? You know, why is that not a, something that you would think, like, we, that's fixable. That, you know, that is something that we could 100% fix, but yet still every day, every year, five to six million people die from it. So somebody else got inspired by that and made something called, it's called a life straw. Ever see one of these? Costs about 20 bucks. Hopefully they'll get cheaper. But you can literally stick this in any dirty puddle in any place in the world and drink through it. And I did this in the first service. Tastes like water. It's really weird. I know I'm drinking dirty water, and it tastes straight like water. And so I did that because I, and I trusted that this thing was going to do what it said it was going to do. This is dirt from our yard. I don't think it has anything in it, hopefully. Okay? But I, I, I fully trusted the manufacturer of this product to stand behind its claims of this will not make, you can drink dirty water and it will not make you sick. So I use that imagery on purpose because many of us are consuming a polluted culture with just a straight straw. Just, we are just, you know, just drinking it like this. And then we're acting and wondering, why are we getting sick? Like, it couldn't be anything else other than the fact that I am consuming culture with all the kind of stuff that's in it. Now, this is not behavior modification. This isn't, you know, stop drinking dirty water, stop looking at that website, stop going on that Netflix show, stop doing that. It's not anything to do with that. It's basically, we are swimming in this Every day of every week, every moment, we are swimming. All of culture is dirty water. So how do you avoid it? You will leave here today and go into a society and a culture that's actively trying to eliminate God from every facet of your life. That's, that's the way it is. So our response can't be, especially to our kids, to stop doing naughty things. Well, you're still swimming in this. It's how you consume it that matters. We are drinking it straight when we have the filter and the foundation of Scripture that will allow us to consume culture but not be polluted by culture, not be impacted by it. And in reality, you know, we we know that five to six million people every year are dying from polluted water, but how many people are dying today without the love and knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because we're sending them out into the world unprepared, ill-prepared. So let's go back to 2 Timothy, and I want you to see this. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We try to avoid this at all costs. 
In fact, if we are being persecuted, if we are going through tough times, we try to get out of it as quickly as possible. We never think, maybe it's because I'm living a godly life. So if I'm living a godly life and I find persecution, usually we try to get out of persecution by not living godly anymore. In the next verse, it continues. He says, evildoers and imposters, they're going to go from bad to worse. They're, they're being deceived and they are deceiving. This is the nature of who we are and where we find ourselves. We are swimming in a sea of deception. How is it impacting you? In verse 14, he says, but as for you, that's where I want you to really kind of focus in on. As for you, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. You know me, Paul. Keep going. Be encouraged. In 15, he says, And now from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, infancy, I didn't grow up in the church, so I, I don't have physical infancy of learning Scripture. That wasn't, like, I, that wasn't what I was swimming in. I was swimming in some pretty filthy water growing up, right? So this isn't like you have to be a baby and we're teaching babies and we, you know, we grow and, and, then, and if you're not that, then you're totally excluded. This could also be spiritual infancy. I went to seminary one year after I became a Christian. I entered master's level theology classes one year after I became a, a believer in Christ. And I remember going into some of my New Testament classes or some of the biblical foundation classes and having to go to the table of contents because I didn't know where everything was yet. You know, sometimes we would engage, you know, in the, in the library, and somebody would be talking some grand theology, and they'd be going, you know, what, in Habakkuk it means this, and I'm going, where's Habakkuk? I don't know where Nahum is yet. I don't have a strong opinion on Philemon or Philemon or however you want to say it, right? But that can be developed and built and grown. And so he, he says, how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All of Scripture is the breath of God. That's what we have access to. All of Scripture holds the very breath of God. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness or holiness, but we never use it. We are swimming in dirty water and we have the very breath of God available to us. We just visit Jesus on the weekends. So we've kind of bought into that as well of, you know what, Jesus is at the church or Jesus just stays at the church. When in reality, if you're going to learn the scriptures from infancy and live a godly life, that's going to take some work. That's going to take some development. That's going to take us to sit around a table and have those conversations. Or Maybe here's a, here's a good one. This week, or here, I'll give you past two weeks, have you sat across the table from somebody or your spouse or a friend and said, you know, I was reading Ephesians 3 this week, and I was struggling with this. What, what's your opinion on that? It, maybe it wasn't Ephesians. You know, I was reading 
fill in the blank, in the Bible, something, and I was really having a hard time understanding, have you read that? And that person maybe goes, "Mm mm-mm. Let's read it together. Or perhaps we've allowed culture to kind of push us and we've added Jesus on as, a, as an additional activity, but not necessarily kind of a part of who we are, and that is exactly why we look this way. We've cut ourselves off, made Jesus an additional activity, and we have not allowed him to be the very source of our life. Because like the foundational scripture that I'm using is John 15. And Jesus replies and says this over and over and over again in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. You can keep going. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Remain is a choice. Remain in me as I have also remained in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's stop here. And every person ever created, go back, leave it up on the screen. Every person ever created on that last line says, yeah, but I'm going to try. If we believe that this is foundational truth, and we understand, and this is the words of Christ, saying, apart from me, you can do nothing, why are we trying to do it alone? There's many of us in the room, many of us outside this room, that are drinking the culture straight. No filter, no straw, no anything. How's that working out for us? So we can either totally cut ourselves off and become Amish. I don't see an Amish sign-up sheet out in the lobby, right? Or we have to figure out how to engage our culture without it allowing it to uproot us and cut us off. Because that's what it wants to do every day, every moment, every heartbeat, every breath. Everyone in the culture that is not in the faith is trying to pull you away from it. There are so many other better options for you to do. There's so many other things that you could be doing. There's so many other activities that you could add to your schedule. But all of us at a certain point have to say, I've tried that. I'm going to build my life and my foundation and everything on Jesus and allow life to come out of that, not just glue Jesus on to what I'm already doing. Five million people die a year. I have this flummox, but I can't. You never see like a ticker, a ticker for that. Something totally solvable. How many of us Tomorrow, we'll decide to engage culture and consume it, drink it straight, and then wonder why we feel sick, and wonder why I feel lonely, cut off. Those things will always be around us. 
How many dirty puddles did you drink out of this week? Can you think of it right now? This isn't, you know, behavior modification hour. But how many dirty puddles did we drink out of this week? We wonder why we feel sick. When we have the filter and the foundation and the soil and everything here that we can build our lives on, but we've actively chosen not to. We need to engage our faith and commit and wake up in the morning and intentionally put on Jesus. Say, today I am putting on my, my, my faith. Everything I'm going to do today is going to be built off of that foundational truth. I am going to be, you know, follow Jesus in my decisions, in my plans, in my prayers, in my, in my study. I'm going to do all of this because I believe that this is the very word of God and it's not something I should just sit on a shelf and forget about. So what are you going to do? I, I try to make this as applicable as possible. If, let's say you, probably nobody in this room. It's other people, okay? If you didn't engage the scriptures at all this week, other than what I happened to preach on last weekend, okay, that's your starting point. Cool. This week, decide to read one chapter of one thing, and not just read it and go, hey, check, but maybe with a friend, or a spouse, have them do that as well. And one night, while you're having dinner, or you're, you have a moment, say, what did you think about that? Well, I didn't really understand this. And what's wild is all that is is a start. And then God, which is God's word, which is the very breath of God, will begin to infill you, and you're going to want to consume more. And the more clean water you consume, the stronger you will become. Jesus meets this woman at a well in John chapter 4, and they had cut themselves off from these people called the Samaritans, or the Jews had. And he asks this Samaritan woman, he comes up to her and says, can I have a drink? And she's kind of flummoxed by the fact that he's even talking to her. And so he says, will you, will you give me a drink, please? His disciples, they, they had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. I know how this works. How can you ask me for a drink? You shouldn't even be talking to me. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is and asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his kids and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what I want to drink. And you have access to it in the very word of God that's on your phone right now. Or it's on your shelf at home. And if you don't have one, take a Bible. Or I'll show you how to download an app. It's free, easy, accessible. You just have to intentionally choose it. Or choose culture. That's what we have in front of us. So this morning, we're going to share in communion together as a family. 
And what communion is, and maybe sometimes I think we take some of these, well, whatever you come from, sacraments or rituals or religion, to, um, we just take them for granted. Sometimes you remember, like I said, you have to look at last things. Jesus had a last thing. So the night before he was to be crucified, you have one night to live. What are you going to do? Credit cards can't find you tomorrow. Okay? Jesus decides at that moment he wants to gather with his disciples. And he wants to share a meal with them. And some of his last words before he's going to be taken off to be crucified are in, are in what we call the Last Supper, the Eucharist, or communion. Eucharist is just a big word. It means body of Christ. And in this Last Supper, he's foreshadowing to them what is to come and the sacrifice that he is to give them. And through that sacrifice, we will have access to forgiveness and to the Father. And he says, share this meal with me one last time. So here at Eastridge, we celebrate what's called open communion. If you're a believer, you're welcome to partake in the elements. We're going to have members of our leadership team up at the, the stands in front of you. You can come up and take the elements and go back to your seats, and we'll take them together as a family. Why don't you pray with me this morning? Father God, as we gather here today, we just thank you for the privilege that it is to be your family, to be your kids. And so, Lord, may we ask for that forgiveness. May you cleanse us from within. Maybe we have been consuming polluted water and we are sick. And we know that you can heal us, you can wash us clean. And we can start over. We pray all of this in the powerful and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.